We're celebrating Holy Communion today, so let's, let's look at God's Word before we come to the table together. Um, such people. God is looking for such people. What kind of people? Well, let's, let's look and find out. John chapter 4, verses 15 through 26. In the liturgy, please read along. This is from the message um, as I read. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, Go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't one of them. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. I like what she does there. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshipped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, we'll get the whole story. Literally, it says, I am speaking to you. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would engage us with reality, with what is real, the really real. Help us to be present to ourselves and and who we really are. Please show us the way. Please give us healing. I think we all need that. And then also make us present to who you are. And those two things certainly go together. Make us present and enable us to feel and experience your presence, especially your love. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, and no matter why we're here, I'm I'm just thankful we're all here together in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I am always very sensitive to those who don't want to be here. Um, and yet are, perhaps. And the reason is, 
is because that's who I was <laughs> when it comes to church spaces, and, and, and in large part still am. Um, I don't want to be here oftentimes, believe it or not. <laughs> um, and, and yet, I, I, I will say, I, I come, the same reason I hope that you come, that's hoping to be healed. But I'm, I'm very sensitive to those who may feel uncomfortable uh, in this space, who uh, maybe didn't want to come to begin with. And, and that's because, as I said, that's who I was uh, and still am. But the, the person that once was, um, that is me, you could, you could tell uh, more, it was more in the open that I didn't want to be here. I was, I was a person that, um, as some of y'all know, I, I grew up, my parents made me go to church. I, I, didn't, I never wanted to really go, uh, particularly after I got to middle school and then certainly when I could drive. Um, and they didn't know half the time or most of the time that, that even though I was physically in the parking lot, it, I was oftentimes stay in my car, listen to music, or um, if, I, if I were to go in the service at all, it was a big church, and I would... Um, Oftentimes, if I'd go in the building, I would stay. I would kind of hide out in the in the um, the what was a massive like foyer uh, or in the outside the balcony. Uh, if I went into the actual like worship service, I would kind of sneak in the back with my friends and you know just sort of talk, not really engaging at all with what was going on. Um, and still, now that was before I met Jesus. But even after I encountered Jesus, which happened in, as an 18-year-old in college, um, and it was after I decided I was going to stop really looking, or at least I was going to stop the church game. It's actually when God showed up in my life. But still, I was the kind of guy that, and this is after, again, meeting Jesus, I, would, I still would kind of sneak in the back and um, and I'm especially sensitive when we're playing songs and we're singing to the person that doesn't want to sing, because that was definitely me. And even after being a Christian, I would kind of, you know, hands in pockets, kind of look down. Um, I, I didn't know these weird songs and uh, wouldn't sing them. But then over time, and as I sort of in fits and starts began growing in Christ, I would start to kind of, not, not that you have to do this, not that this is a, a barometer for growth in Christ, but I would... I would authentically begin to engage. I wanted to start engaging. I'd start kind of mouth, kind of looking down. Um, and so I am very sensitive to, that's still really who I am as a pastor now. That's still really, I, I, the one thing I desire is to feel comfortable being who I am in this space. And I'm going, to, my, I'm going to do my best to try to be authentic with my emotions in that moment and who I am. And I, I desire that for you. So you are free anytime you come to this church to never sing a, a single word, to not get out of your seat. I'm sorry if you feel weird as everybody else does. But the thing that I want and that we want at House of Mercy that we're cultivating is the thing that Jesus, I think, wants out of us, and that's simply authenticity. And so if you're the person that like, likes to raise your hands and do a dance and stuff, um, as long as it's genuine, go for it. If it's not genuine, please stop. Don't do that, because it makes the rest of us feel weird. But definitely, so whether you're doing that, raising your hands, or you're doing this, I believe God just wants us, this is a place to start, it's just to be honest, 
All the emotions are welcome. All the feels are certainly welcome here. Here's the good news I think Jesus has for us today. Each, each time as we go through John and through the red letters of John and focus on the words of Jesus and the way Jesus lived and, and what he did, I'm asking this question as it relates to that given passage. Um, what's the good news? What's the gospel? That's all gospel means. And so imagine if Jesus were to walk in physically, we were to see him in this space And we were to say, hey, Jesus, what's the good news with John chapter 4, verses 15 through 16? Here it is. Love has come to town, and all he wants is for you to be you. Love has come to town, and he just wants you to be you. You're free to come out of hiding now, whatever that looks like. As long as it's honest and authentic, I think that's all God is asking. That's the good news that Jesus has for this woman at a well. So two things. The search is over, and you just get to be you. The search is over, and you just get to be you. First, the search is over. This passage, that is this encounter with Jesus and this woman, is really all about marriage, I believe you, you have to kind of look at the fine print. You have to sort of know the story of Scripture to see this. But there's definitely, this fits into the prominent marriage motif throughout all the story of Scripture. How do we find that in John 4? Well, first of all, wells were places where marriages happened in the story of Scripture. In the world of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, that's where people met and ended up getting married. Uh, Jacob and Rachel, Moses and Zipporah, two prominent, famous examples. Wells were, were romantic in a way. It is in the Bible where people got together. At this well, what's this, the scandal of this passage that is very intentional by Jesus and, and God and John who's writing this is we have a, as, y'all, as most of y'all know, a Jewish man, and I covered this some last Sunday, who is not supposed to talk to any women in public, especially a Samaritan woman, and especially this Samaritan woman, who we don't know much about her story other than, as Jesus will, will reveal, she had five husbands and is now living with, with someone that is not her husband. And, you know, we don't, a lot of people, I, I think, assume that she was like the village prostitute or very promiscuous. It could be that she had five abusers for husbands, and now, and she's fleeing. We don't know, but we do know this. It's very clear she has a bad reputation. It's very clear that the village considered her an outcast, like the worst of the worst, which can just happen by just having multiple marriages, <laughs> even um, if that's what you should do, right? There's some situations where you need to get out of that marriage. We don't know. We know that she's an outcast in this village, and here is Jesus. He has come to marry her. That's what I'm saying. He has come to reveal himself as the spouse she's always been chasing. That's what's going on. That's sort of what is in the fine print here. It is about marriage. Now, this is love, guess what, comes to you 
unconditionally, no matter who you are or what your story is, God has come to marry you, me. Love has come to town. And God knows, and Jesus here knows everything about this woman, as we'll see. And so what he's going to do is walk her through at least part of her own story so that now what's been said, which is the living water is... um, as we said last Sunday, is, is what leads to life. And I was saying it is the gospel message that God's love for you and me is unconditional. God accepts you as you are. Not only does God accept you as you are, but God loves you as you really are, all the parts of you. Now Jesus is going to enable this woman to feel that by walking her through the hard parts of her story and by convincing her he's not going anywhere He's going to, and this is, this is true for all of us. We have to get to know our stories. We've got to look at all of the parts. We have to go even to the painful places of our story in order that we might actually feel and experience this unconditional love from God. We won't really feel it unless we kind of go through our failures. And so Jesus is going to gently walk her through a part of her own story Um, Now, as he does that, she immediately does what a lot of religious people do, and that is she creates a theological diversion. Did you you catch that? Um, First of all, Jesus says, you know, go go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And I think Jesus is commending her because she is at least being honest. She doesn't try to duck it. She's been exposed. She's been busted, so to speak, and she doesn't try to deny it. And I think Jesus is commending her. Yes, that's sure enough. That is right. And so, friends, again, all God is asking of you is to be honest, and God will take it from there. God can work with that. Um, but unfortunately, we are not honest with ourselves, with our own stories, and, and then it just spills over. We're not honest with our neighbors, with our friends, with, with God. And God is Jesus here is commending this woman, I think, for just at least not ducking that. However, she does create this theological diversion. She's clearly smart. She's a theologian in her own right. And she, she's like, okay, okay, yeah, 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 th- you're right. Uh, you're, I see you're a prophet. <laughs> um, let's talk about religion. Let's talk about theology. And they begin to talk about whose church is best. Have y'all been in these conversations before? Um, uh, you Jews say that your church is is best. We Samaritans say that our church is best. So, so which, which is it? And, and Jesus basically responds by saying, well, a time is coming and now is when your church begins right here in, within you. This, your body is a sanctuary, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Wherever your body goes, that's where church goes in that sense. That's where God is. It's where God dwells. And so she's trying to create this theological diversion. He goes with her, and he's going to show her eventually, kind of redirect her back to this reality. Um, She's been chasing her spouse, so to speak, man going from man to man looking for acceptance, and Jesus is going to convince her so that she feels it, that she has all she needs right now. She lacks nothing. He comes to her and to us. 
He's going to redirect us. Even though we try to create these diversions, we try to distract, deflect, hopefully just for a moment we can listen to what Jesus, I think, and what God really wants us to know. He's trying to convince us, too, that God sees us and God loves us. Now, right now, in this moment, not who you once were when you, when you used to have a quiet time every day or whatever. Not, he's not talking about in the future when you will have a quiet time every day or whatever. He's saying right now, even if you haven't had a quiet time in a decade, right now, I love you. And God's love for you will be no different when you start having all those quiet times. God's love for you will be no different in heaven. When you go through death and through the veil and into divinity, God's love for you then will be no different, no more than it is right now. In fact, Jesus has come to unite himself, and that's the idea of marriage. You become one flesh with you right now. You don't have to wait till then. But, but then, you know, we see through a glass dimly. Then we'll see face to face. We know in part, then we will know fully as we have been fully known. So your union with God is, is just as real as it will be a million years from now in heaven. That's what Jesus is trying to convince us, I believe. Um, do we see it? Are we experiencing it? We, we can. We're meant to. You see, the good news hits home, especially, as I said, after a failure. (laughs) After we look at those painful parts of our story, because it's only then that we realize, oh, this Jesus means business. Um, He's not going anywhere. He knows every part of this woman's story. She's been exposed, and he stays. That will transform her, as we'll see. That will transform you, too, and me. Lastly, you just get to be you. You just get to be you. Um, the significance of, so there's, there's this word mentioned in this passage, Messiah. Some of y'all know what that is. Uh, Christ is synonymous. Um, so uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, Christ is a title. It means the anointed one. Yes, the Messiah. Um, we need to understand the significance of this title. I, I'm growing and learning myself the significance of this title. The significance is with, with this title, with Jesus the Christ, is you no longer have to, as I was saying earlier, you no longer have to go to God. God has come to you. In fact, God has indwells us. This can only happen, though, through the Christ. Uh, Brian Zahn who you hear me talk about often. Um, I have, uh, I consider Brian Zahn to be my main teacher right now, like my main Bible teacher from afar. And then, and Richard War is my main spiritual director from afar. So you need to know that about me um, and um, hope you keep coming. Um, but Brian Zahn said this in talking about the significance and, and the, the distinction between the historic Jesus of Nazareth and the Christ. You see, if you're looking for the historic Jesus, and there's been a lot of scholarship around this, and I I think it's a worthy endeavor, you can learn a lot about Jesus, but you will never actually be with Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago. 
because you live in Asheville, North Carolina in 2023. You need the Christ, this title, this is where it becomes significant. This is where the ascension, the resurrection and the ascension becomes significant. You can experience Christ right now. Listen to what Brian Zahn says. He says, you're not going to encounter the historical Jesus, but you can reach, but, but who you can reach is the risen and ascended Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now the risen Christ is accessible to everybody, everywhere, at every moment. And you see, with this woman, he's explaining to her, yeah, yeah, uh, whatever church you go to, that's great. Um, and, and, you know, House of Mercy, I don't know how long House of Mercy will last. Uh, I know this, it won't last forever. Do you know who will? Christ. The Christ will last forever, and you will last forever. Then he talks about um, uh, this spirit and truth language. And he, he goes into, after explaining, that, and, and, and to this woman, he says, that time has come. See, he's, he's getting her ready. There's, there is a, absolutely the, you know, the um, turning point in all of human history. The hinge is, is this Jesus of Nazareth? And particularly through his life, crucifixion, death, burial, res- and then resurrection and ascension, there's definitely been, uh, we have entered into a new epoch, a new age, a new era. And those, and this is who God is looking for, is looking for people now to worship in spirit and truth. Now, here's something that's important to note. He's not talking about two different things here, and you know this from the, the, the Greek. It could be translated the spirit of truth. So, so this, he's not saying, so God is for Pentecostals and like reformed conservative people. He's not saying God is for those who like, like to get all spiritual and those who, who have good theology, right? Um, and and, and if, you, if you're like me, you've been in spaces where we, we kind of like, yeah, yeah, God's for spirit and truth, you know, and you have to worship and your, your doctrine has to be sound in order for you to really engage with God here, right? That's not, that's not actually what he's engaging with. That's not what he's talking about. And Eugene Peterson, this is why he translates it the way he does. He is, because this is two ways to describe one thing. Um, it's like, like saying, like, today was nice and warm. This is two ways to describe one thing, spirit and truth. The one thing God is looking for is authentic, genuine people. <laughs> Honest people. <laughs> so we can... Stop the pretense. Stop the game. He will do this with Peter later, too. Um, after Peter, catastrophic failure, denies he knows Jesus, much less follows him three times. He will walk Peter through Peter's own failure in order to build him back up, in order to redeem his story, so that Peter might feel the weight of the gospel. And all Jesus is trying to get Peter to do there and this woman at the well here and us now is just to be honest. (laughs) That's what it means to worship in spirit and truth, the spirit of truth, your truth, being honest with who you are. It's just a comment about authenticity. God is looking for such people, for such people. So not people that are, you know, uh, one day of the week or this way around this group of people, 
around their Christian friends, and then this day around their non-Christian friends, they're a, they're a different person, and never the twain shall meet. No, God's looking for us to become less and less dualistic, <laughs> less and less two different people, or three or four or five, and just one person. Those are the people God, that's who God's looking for. So, you know, just well, all you, all I, I promise, I to, it's a hard time, I have a hard time convincing people of this as a pastor, because I, I, I grant it's weird, but all I want out of you, all I think you need is for you to be honest. Even if that's, Chad, honestly, I don't ever want to come to House of Mercy again. Praise God. All right, fine. Just let's be consistent with that now. And I will, as a pastor, my job is to try to help you be consistent with what you're saying so that your actions match your words. Now, yeah, really, that's it. That's it. Um, Yeah, so House of Mercy probably won't survive very long. But um, that is all, as a pastor, I want out of you. It's all I desire. It's just, it's all, because it's all, it's all I'm going to give you, I hope. It's just who I am. Actions and words hopefully match up. God can work with that. God can work with that. And that's really, I think, all that matters at the end of the day. Well, the Spirit comes through the Christ, plants herself, the Spirit, within us so that we now have direct access to God. God doesn't ask you to come to God. God comes to you. In fact, God indwells you. And this is the significance of the Christ. This is who makes it happen. Now, I want, I want us as we end to look at verses 24 through 26 again, because one thing you've heard me say if you've been coming um, lately is John is the most mystical of the Gospels. Um, uh, uh, our caretaker, or Ben's caretaker, Austin Maynard, he told me about this theologian uh, recently who, who said, now this is, you may know this, but John's the only gospel that doesn't talk about the transfiguration, which that was Transfiguration Sunday, it was last Sunday, and this theologian says it's because the whole book of John is about that. Transfiguration. Um, it, it's, it's about seeing and apprehending the world as it really is, which means we have to look at it differently than we're used to looking. It means, it means what's, what's up here in our head is, has to come down to here. We have to feel it. It's experiential knowing. And so Jesus will say things that seem cryptic, especially in John. Um, he will say things as a way to kind of like um, wake us up out of our stupor, out of our sleep. And it will sound um, fascinating, maybe weird, perhaps. And this is one of those sections here, verses 24 through 26. But I want us to try to grasp with our hearts what Jesus is saying here. So let's look at this together. He says, verse 24, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for, those who are simply honest, honestly themselves before him in their worship. And here it goes. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I don't know that the, I, I do know the Messiah is coming And when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. And again, literally, all it says, it doesn't say, I am he. 
it's fine for translations to add he. It just says, I am is speaking to you. I am, very wooden and literally, I am thus speaking to you. In other words, this is like the mic drop moment. She's like, okay, whenever this Messiah comes, he'll explain everything. And he just goes, I am. Now, anybody think about what he might be referencing there with this I am? Go ahead. Let me hear it. Anybody? What's that? Burning bush? Yes. Old Testament. The covenant name, sort of untranslatable. Uh, Jews, Orthodox Jews uh, used to not even utter it. So she says, when this one comes, we will know. And he simply is basically saying, I am Yahweh is standing in front of you. And that's how the passage then ends. This language of I am. Like that is, that is a, that's a bad, I mean, like in a good way, like a bad title, a bad name. It's really, really cool. Uh, what's, what's your name? I am. That's my name. It's, it's like a verb. My name is a verb. <laughs> Action is my name. Like that, that should be, that is the most superhero of all superheroes, right? The I am superhero. Because I am means he just is, and he doesn't have to project anything else out into the world. Um, like Molly and I were talking about, there's no like why he's doing this or that. He's just like, I just am. <laughs> I am. Jesus is saying, I'm, I, I, I am. Here's where I want to end. What he's telling this woman is what, and what he's telling you and, and I right now is, I am too. You, that is your name too. Your name also is I am am. It's our oneness with God is the whole point. John 17, we'll spell this out, Lord willing, when we get there. Our oneness with God. If Jesus is I am, you are I am. Now, Richard War is very helpful in a, in a little passage in Falling Upward where he talks about who saints really are. And I'm saying these are, in, in a lot of translations, it, it says God's looking for such people. Eugene Peterson's a little different. But these are the such people as we end that God is looking for. Listen to, to um, Richard War's description of saints. I think this is, this is really powerful and worth re- reflecting on and meditating on. He says, the saint is precisely one who has no eye to protect or to project. His or her I is in conscious union with the I am of God. And that is more than enough. Divine union overrides any need for self-hatred or self-rejection. Such people do not need to be perfectly right, and they know they cannot be anyway, so they just try to be in right relationship. In other words, they try above all else to be loving. Love holds you tightly and safely and always. Such people have met the enemy and know that the major enemy is me, but you do not hate me either. 
You just see through and beyond me to I am. God is looking for such people. So good news, friends. Love has come to town and he just wants you to be you. So the search is over. The person you've always been looking for, in a way, is yourself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I I just ask now that that my words and, and what I'm saying, that you would take it, Holy Spirit, and that you would apply it in our hearts, wherever it's needed the most especially so that we might experience healing, so that we might actually experience transformation and change. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.